it does my heart good to be here. Just to sit here with you guys. I woke up this morning uh, and you f- I felt the, op- the oppression. I felt the, the, the battle. I was talking to somebody this week. I think it was in our small group maybe on Thursday night. I just don't think we completely understand the spiritual warfare that goes on around us. Like it's crazy right now. And we don't even realize it. That there's a battle, really a battle for our hearts that's going on. And the evil one uh, is evil. But God is good. Uh, It's at 5.30 this morning. I was feeling it. And all the way from, make sure I get this right, Rob, from Maryland, your mom messages me that she's praying for me and um, then I heard heard something from Micah later this morning and just know that uh, God uses each of you in a special way in this battle and it's just a pretty cool thing and I honestly think that he uses all of us just to encourage one another Um, it's a big deal then Jesus, I thought about him. He, it's, it seems like this is all his, everything I'm teaching is he's totally in this battle. He's totally in this ba- a re, a battle with not even like pagan gods, but with religion. Like his own people. They've, they've ramped up this religion thing and made it something that it's not, and... Uh, once again today he goes into battle we've been in John for the last few weeks and now we're going to jump over to Luke for the next few weeks but I'm in Luke chapter 10 and there's a, um, some good passages in, in this chapter here in Luke 10 it says after this the Lord appointed 72 others and some of you are looking at a different translation and it says 70 72 or 70 it's the big question. Uh, some Greek manuscripts, which is where we get our Bibles from, will say 70. Some will say 72. I don't think it really matters. The New American Standard, the Holman Christian Standard, and the Message all say 70. The Christian Standard Bible, the ESV, the New Living, and the NIV all say 72. I think it's interesting if you, you go back to Genesis. Th- this is what's amazing. We, we talk about the 66 books working together. You go back to Genesis 10, it's, it, it's actually got the different names and nations that are mentioned there, which is really what Jesus is like sending these disciples out to the many nations here to tell the, the gospel. But you go back to the nations in Genesis chapter 2, and if you look at those names in the Hebrew, there's 70 names. But if you look at it in the Greek, there's 72 names. It's kind of crazy, but that's the way it works. But it doesn't really matter. 70, 72. It says, after this, the Lord appointed 72 others, and he sent them ahead. I'm using the Christian Standard 
Bible you see down here in the it's an it's a new uh, translation that I'm trying to play with. So just so you know, uh, it says, "Lord appointed seventy-two others, and He sent them ahead of Him in pairs to every town." If you've got seventy, how many pairs are you sending out? Thirty-five, seventy-two. You're sending out thirty-six pairs, and place where he himself was about to go. He told them, the harvest is abundant, but the workers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. Now, I have to ask the question here is, uh, so many times uh, I've been pressured pressured to go and, and reap this harvest. Like, the workers are few, you need to go be a worker, you need to go do this, you need to go knocking on doors, you need to evangelize, you need to do ministry. You, you know what I'm talking about. But I sat here and I, I read this, it says, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers. Who's the one that sends the workers? He does, and, but watch this. Into whose harvest? His harvest. Like I, I truly believe if you figure this thing out, that he sends you, you people right here, out into this harvest around us. And just by you living out your life and what you understand and what you know and everything that was like talked about up here about the Holy Spirit already being here and the things that Scott said, it's just like if you naturally live that out, he's sending you out into the harvest. There's no way that you can avoid knowing what you know and not letting this come out in your work environment, in your family. He's called you. Now... At the same time, this seems ironic, but uh, let me say this. I, I sat here and read this, and I'm like, Lord, I need workers. I need people to go to Houston with me. We, 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 we've committed to, to the, taking a team down there, and right now I have eight, uh, eight people that are going with me, but if you're interested in going, the past, get this, the pastor of the church sent me this last night. He sent me an email. And he said, here's one of the stories I want to share with you. You can throw this picture up there. Uh, Kevin is our Iranian-born UPS driver at the church. He's at Heritage Park Baptist Church in Webster, Texas. This is between Galveston and Houston. He's a functional atheist, but would identify himself as Muslim. He and his family had three and a half feet of water in his house for four and a half days. We helped muck out their house and have provided them Walmart gift cards and kitchen table and chairs and several other things, bedding being the most recent. For two weeks in a row, he has shown up to church. How's that for a story? <laughs> you see, I truly believe that this pastor, Trent, who I've been talking with and working with as we prepare our team to take down there, that he is literally just living out the ministry that is among them. Now, he didn't pray for a hurricane. He didn't pray for a disaster, but they're in a disaster and they need help. 
and their church has chosen to go out into their community and just be Jesus. That's all it is. It's his harvest. Obviously, pretty cool things are happening. If you want to hang out with us for a week, I'll take you. We're leaving November the 13th, almost uh, two weeks from tomorrow. Uh, short little commercial there. Verse 3, it says, Now go. <laughs> now go. I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. Now, let, let's get this straight. He's talking to the 70-72. He's not talking to his initial 12. He's got his 12 that are staying with him, but now he's got 70-72 disciples not necessarily associated as apostles, even though that they're hanging out with Jesus. But he's got 70-72 people that are following him, and he's sending them out saying, Hey, look, I'm going to send you out among the wolves. And you guys are like lambs. How many of you would sign up for that job? He says, don't carry money bag, traveling bag, or sandals. Don't greet anyone along the road. Just stay focused on your task. You don't need anything. I'll take care of all your provisions. Everything will be provided for you. What? Now, he says that. He says that right there. But he changes that. He changes that after the cross. If you go back to Luke 22, or jump forward to Luke 22, verse 35, he also said to them, When I sent you out without money bag, traveling bag, or sandals, did you lack anything? Not a thing, they said. Then he said to them, But now whoever has a money bag should take it, and also a traveling bag, and whoever doesn't have a sword should sell his robe and buy one. So what Jesus has done here with these 70, 72, he's like, well, I'm going to provide for you everything that you need to do ministry. I'm going to take care of you. But after the cross, he's like, you need to take money bag and you need to protect yourself. You need to pick up the sword. You need to do something. And you look at, you look at Paul and he was like, he was doing things on the side. He was a, he was a tent maker, right? He was making way for his own ways. So Jesus kind of changed the principles, but right now he's like saying, just trust me. Just trust me. Verse 5, it says, Whatever house you enter, first say, peace to this household. If a person of peace is there, your peace will rest on him. But if not, it will return to you. Remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they offer, for the worker is worthy of his wages. Don't move from house to house. When you enter any town and they welcome you, eat the things set before you. Heal the sick who, who are there and tell them the kingdom of God has come near you. When you enter any town and they don't welcome you, go out into its streets and say, we're wiping off even the dust of your town that clings to our feet as a witness against you. Know this for certain. The kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, on that day, it will be more tolerable for Sodom than for that town. Here's what he's saying to the 70. I'm getting ready to go out, 
And I want to go minister all around Israel to the different nations that are represented here. But I need you to figure out for me which ones are going to receive me and which ones are going to reject me. I'm not going to waste my time with the ones that reject me, but I'll hang out all day with the ones that receive me. He sent out 70, 72 people. Sent them out in pairs. If there's actually like 70 nations that are, that are mentioned in Genesis chapter 10, it almost seems like half of them received Jesus and half of them rejected Jesus. But he's like, hey, look, it's pretty simple. This is the way the gospel works. You tell them that I'm the Messiah. That I am. I'm the one they've been looking for. And you heal them. You cast out demons. You do all sorts of things. I got you. I'll take care of you. And if they receive you, stay there. But, if they say that you're of Beelzebub, and they don't believe that I'm the Messiah, no worries. Just dust yourself off. Walk on. Go to the next place. You know what that says to me as a pastor? There is no pressure whatsoever to share the gospel. It's naturally going to happen. It's na- I mean, you know me. It's natural for me to talk about Jesus. Some people are going to receive it. Some people are going to reject it. I could sit there and focus on... I used to do that. I used, in youth ministry, I used to have these kids that just... I, I had a passion for them. I had, and I wanted them to get it. I wanted them to figure out. And I would just spend time and time. And I, I would literally just sit there and pound them and pound them and pound them. And they just never would like figure this thing out. And at some point, I figured out that, hey, this isn't my deal. I'm not the one that's supposed to transform them. It's the Father's deal. I'm just here to teach truth. I'll tell them about Jesus, but it's not my responsibility to change them. And then he gets real personal. He says, Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. Both of these cities were up near Galilee, near Capernaum, where... That was basically Jesus' headquarters. These were Jewish-influenced cities. Not only were they influenced as Jews, but they were influenced by the Pharisees, and the Pharisees have already said that Jesus is not the Messiah. That means when he says, Woe to you, you've already rejected me as a whole. He says, For if the miracles that were done in you had been done in Tyre or Sidon, those are, watch this, those are two cities, two pagan cities that are on the coast of the Mediterranean Sea. They were northwest of Galilee. If I did the miracles that were right here, and Ryan uh, asked me this week how, how many miracles were, were done, we have like 37 miracles mentioned in the scripture. If, we, if he had done those miracles over there in Tyre and Sidon, 
there's a there's a better chance that they are going to do well on the day of judgment than those that were in Capernaum. You guys have seen these miracles, yet they haven't seen them, and they still have a better chance. He says, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. In other words, there would have been mourning and repentance among those Gentiles, those pagan Gentiles, if they heard what you heard. He says, but it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon at the judgment than for you. Like they stand a better chance at judgment. Some of you just got scared because I said the judgment word. Let me take you and tell you real quick, breathe, relax. You're good. You, you're good if you believe in Jesus. You're good if you believe that Jesus is the Son of God and that he is the Savior and he's forgiven you of your sins. But watch this. I'll take you, I'll explain this real quick. In Revelation chapter 20, verse 11, it says this. Then I saw a great white throne and one seated on it. This is what we call the great white throne judgment. When he's talking about judgment, it's better for you than you. He's talking about this great white throne judgment. He says, earth and heaven fled from his presence and no place was found for them. I also saw the dead once they died. The great and the small standing before the throne and books were open. Another book was open, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by what was written in, in the books. The book of life, everybody's name is written in the book of life, but some are actually like marked out because they never believed. And he's talking about those that are non-believers. He says, then the sea gave up the dead and that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. Each one was judged according to their works. Death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire, and anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. That's kind of scary. I get it. But if you believe in Jesus, the Son of God, the Savior, your name is written in the book of life, and you don't even have to worry about that great white throne judgment. That's good news, people. That's salvation. He says, the Gentiles stand a better chance than the Jews at the great white throne judgment. Just a side note, you will be judged. There is another judgment. That's the judgment seat of Christ. And that's going to be a pretty awesome thing. Because what's going to happen there is you're going to stand there and he's not going to review your sin list because your sin's already been dealt with, right? He died one time on the cross, and he dealt with all your sins at the cross. So it's not like he's, like, stocking these up on you and waiting for you to get to heaven, and we're going to deal with them. He's already dealt with them. It's a done deal. When you get to the judgment seat, Christ, everything that you've done in service and ministry in your own strength will, be ha will have burnt up. But everything that you did in Christ, Christ in you, you in Christ, in service, in ministry, 
will be rewarded. And that's going to be an awesome experience. I'm not going to go into that. But look, if you're a believer in Jesus, judgment is good for you. It says in verse 15, And you, Capernaum, will you, this is those Jewish towns that have rejected him, will you be exalted to heaven? No. You will go down to Hades. And we all know that Hades, we've said this many times in here, that Hades is the Greek word for the underworld. The Hebrew word being Sheol, Hades and Sheol being the same thing. Same thing. There's, two, there's two sides to Hades, Sheol. There's the paradise side, the bosom of Abraham, and then there's the hell side. So when he's saying that you're going to go down to Hades, he's actually talking about the hell side. Whoever listens to you listens to me. Whoever rejects you rejects me, and whoever rejects me rejects the one who sent me. In other words, look, you're going to go out and you're going to talk about me, and if they say that I'm not the Messiah... It's not going to be good. They're basically going to be in Hades, the hell side. Those Jews, my own people that don't believe that I'm the Messiah. So he sends out the 70, the 72, and then after a period of time, they return. It's in verse 17. It says, the 72 returned with joy. <laughs> That's a big word right there, right? Joy. They, re, they, were, they were stoked. The 72 came back. They hung out with all the people that believed that Jesus was the Messiah, and they were excited. Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. You should have seen what we did. We healed people, we cast out demons, and they were just bubbling over. And this is what Jesus said to them. This is awesome. He said to them, I watched Satan fall from heaven like lightning. <laughs> They're like, what? Do you, realize, do you realize what Jesus just said there in red letters? He said, he watched Satan fall from where? Where's Satan? He's in heaven. Satan is in heaven, and I know that He's implying that Satan is in heaven right now. You go back to Revelation chapter 12, verse 10. It says, Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, The salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah have now come because the accuser of our brothers has been thrown out. This is at the end. This is at the end. Hasn't happened yet. But the accuser of our brothers has been thrown out, the one who accuses them before our God day and night. In other words, right now in heaven, watch this. God is up there, and the, and the evil one, Satan, is up there in heaven as well. And he's accusing you, the brethren, of all these bad things that you're doing. Like he's talking bad trash about you. The good thing is, I know where Jesus sits. He's sitting at the right hand of God. And he's sitting there like going, mm, I've already forgiven them, Father. We've already dealt with this. They're mine, they're ours, they're our children, they're ours. They're mine. The evil, I'm telling you, there's a bigger spiritual battle going on out there than we know. And the evil one is there, and it says there in the end times, he's going to get kicked out of heaven. We already know that. 
We already know that. And so when Jesus is saying, I watched him fall from heaven like night lightning, he's talking about the end times. And then it says, Revelation chapter 20, verse 10, it says, The devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur, where the beast and the false prophet are, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. That's when he got kicked out. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. So Jesus is still talking to these 70, 72 disciples. They've come back. They're all excited. And he says, look, I've given you the authority to trample on snakes and scorpions over and over all the power of the enemy. Nothing at all will harm you. However, don't rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. <laughs> Here's what Jesus just said to him. You guys are pretty stoked about coming back here and doing all these incredible things. But let me remind you, the source of your joy doesn't come from what has been accomplished in ministry. Like, we can talk really good about Levener. We can talk about how good we've got it here. And we do. It's a community of people that have the same vision, the same passion, love one another, take care of one another, all this stuff, reading the Bible. We can go through it. All right? I get it. I'm excited about that. But what Jesus is saying, that's not where your joy comes from. Your joy comes that, from your salvation, that your names are written in heaven. That's, that's, don't lose focus on what the real deal is here. The reason that we're able to come here and feel good about this is because of the salvation that we have in Jesus Christ, period. That's it. Yeah, the good things are going to happen in this group. But don't lose focus. My joy comes from my salvation. It says in verse 21, At that time, he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and intelligent and revealed them to infants. All right. Now he's, now he's calling names and he's like calling people out. He's saying to, you, you get it, right? He's saying, if you think you're wise in your own eyes, you're not very wise. And these Pharisees are sitting among them. These Pharisees are the guys that have the law memorized. These Pharisees are the ones that are telling everybody what's what. And he's saying, if you are wise in your own eyes, you have no wisdom. This message is so easy that infants, that babes can understand it. I'm the Messiah. I died for you. I want to do this for you. It's that simple. Yes, Father, because this was your good pleasure. All things have been entrusted to me by my Father. No one knows the Son who is except the Father. And who the Father is except the Son. And anyone to whom the Son desires to reveal him. Now, what he's saying here is this. is Whoever has ears to ear can hear can understand this. 
This is what we call the mystery form of the kingdom. It's something that is a mystery to many people, but because you have the Spirit of God living inside of you, you're capable of reading this book and understanding the mystery. Like God has given us the ability to unwrap this thing and look at it, and we know we can because we have the Spirit. And then, verse 23, it says, Then turning to his disciples, he said privately, Okay, now he's moved out of the crowd setting with the Pharisees. He's got his disciples privately, his 12 people. Remember, he does this all throughout his public ministry. He's got public and private settings. He says, Blessed are the eyes that see the things that you see. Like you disciples are getting to see something that they can't see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings, who are the kings? Solomon, David, who are the prophets? Isaiah, Jeremiah, all the Old Testament. He's like saying, he said this, For I tell you that many prophets and kings wanted to see the things that you see, but didn't see them. All these people in the Old Testament never got to see what you disciples are getting to see. Like there's a spirit among you and on you and even in you that's allowing you to see things that all these men and women wanted to see before you and they never got to see it. He says to hear the things you hear, but they didn't get to hear them. I jump to Ephesians chapter three, verse or chapter three, verse three. It says this. This is how we know. Paul says this to the church in Ephesus. He says, The mystery was made known to me by revelation. As I have briefly written above, by reading this, you are able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ. This was not made known to people in other generations as it is now revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. The Gentiles are co-heirs, members of the same body, and partners in the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. You see, I'm not lying to you. This mystery kingdom that we don't understand can be understood because we have this spirit in us. That's good news. That's another reason I encourage you to read the Word. Because you can literally figure this thing out, and when you do, you go, oh, and then we get to the, uh, the next part, and he's, dealing, he's left the, the private setting of his disciples. He's back with the Pharisees. He says, Then an expert in the law, which is a Pharisee, those were the ones that knew the law, added to the law, which is called the oral law, stood up to test him, saying, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What's the key word there? The key word there is do. What do I have to do? Tell me one thing, one action that I have to do to have eternal life. And Jesus asked him, being the Pharisee, knowing the law, he says, what is written in the law? How do you read it? Like, you already know this. Then the Pharisee actually quotes Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5. He says this. He answered, 
love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5. The lawyer answers him. And Jesus says, you've answered correctly. Do this and you will live. (laughs) What's the key word there? Do. Because it's present tense. And it means a continual thing. Can you do this continually? Can you love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind continually? Can you do that 24-7? And then treat your neighbor just like it. Jesus is like saying, there's no way that you can do this. But you can do it. That's what you have to do to get eternal life. You have to obey the law. He says in verse 29, but wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, and who's my neighbor? (laughs) And Jesus took up the question and he said, and this is the story of the Good Samaritan that Keith greatly taught just a few weeks ago. I'll read the story to you, but I'm not going to go into detail because he just taught. If you want to read the story about the Good Samaritan, go back and listen to Keith's message just like three weeks ago. A man was going down for Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him, beat him up, and fled, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down that road. When he saw him, he passed by on the other side. In the same way, a Levite, in the same way, a Levite, when he arrived at the same place, saw him passed on the other side. But a Samaritan. Jesus has got the Levite, the priest, and now he said a Samaritan. If you know what a Samaritan is, they're the half-breeds. When the Jews were taken into captivity, the Babylonians breeded with them. And so now you have these half-breeds, and they were like the low life to the Jews. You don't even say the word Samaritan. They're terrible. But Jesus says, but a Samaritan on his journey came up to him, and when he saw the man, he had compassion He went over to him, bandaged his wounds, pouring an olive oil and wine. Then he put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii, one denarii being a day's wage, gave them to the innkeeper and said, Take care of him. When I come back, I'll reimburse you for what extra you spend. Jesus wanted to like prove to this lawyer that he was so far away from his thinking that he actually used a Samaritan in this parable. Who's my neighbor? <laughs> I'm going to drop a bomb on you right here. And watch this. Jesus looks at the lawyer and says, Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? Which one's the real neighbor? And the lawyer says this, the one who showed mercy to him. (laughs) Wait, if I was Jesus, I would have said, and which one was that? (laughs) Can you not say Samaritan? He's not even going to say it. The one who showed mercy to him. Then Jesus told him, go and do the same. Knowing very well this lawyer, this Pharisee, was not going to do it. He couldn't do it. His own belief system wouldn't allow him to minister to 
this person like the Samaritan did. And then all of a sudden, we jump to another whole story. Go back and listen to Keith. Good stuff. He did an excellent job. But I close with these last few verses in this chapter, and this obviously strikes a chord. He says in verse 38, While they were traveling, he entered a village. This would be Bethany. It's actually just east of Jerusalem right there, just east of the, the, uh, the Olive Garden, east of Gethsemane. He goes into Bethany, and this is one of the 35, 36 homes that these disciples had already prepared. And a woman named Martha. It's the first time that we see Jesus entering into Martha and Mary's house in Bethany. He does it like three different times. He actually raises Lazarus from the dead. He says, And a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She had her sister named Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and was listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by her many tasks. She came up and asked the Lord, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to serve alone? So tell her to give me a hand. Help me, help me. The Lord answered her, Martha, Martha. You love how he would have said that. Martha, let me tell you a thing or two. Martha, you're worried and upset about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has made the right choice. And it will not be taken away from her. What's happened here? Martha's in the kitchen. She's cooking. She's cleaning. She's she's running around doing all these things. And Mary is at the feet of Jesus, washing his feet. Martha's in there banging dishes. Do you not hear me? I need help. Mary doesn't have a clue because she's so focused on worshiping Jesus. Two totally different mindsets. Martha, she came to serve Jesus. I want to serve him. I want to serve him. I need help. I want to serve him. Mary, she's just there to enjoy Jesus. I just want to enjoy him. Two totally different mindsets. And then watch this. Martha, who wants to serve Jesus, comes to Jesus and condemns Mary. She's not helping. Tell her to help. But Mary, who's simply enjoying Jesus, is staying focused and never ever even thinks about condemning Martha. Two totally different mindsets. And Jesus says, Martha, this one right here, Mary, that's enjoying me, 
She's right. I came so that you would enjoy me. I came so that you would enjoy me. I came so that you would enjoy me. Quit making it a bunch of work. The work's going to happen. Just enjoy me. Father, I pray that um, as a church we can just enjoy you. makes it sound like we're not going to do anything but uh, you know that's far from the truth I pray that we truly understand as a church what that means to just sit and enjoy it in the midst of the battle that's going on in this room right now In the midst of all the stuff that is being dealt with at homes, then honestly we can just sit. Just sit at your feet. Trust you. Enjoy you. Stay focused on you. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.